Welcome to Alchemical Conversations. I'm Elior. And I'm Danny. Today we're going to talk about the age-old question of free will. Does free will exist? Do we have a choice? Is everything determined since the Big Bang? We're going to try and find answers to these questions. But first, let's talk about definitions. What is determinism? Well, determinism is the belief that all decisions, basically everything that happens in the universe, um, was already determined at the beginning of the universe, at the Big Bang, that um, every new moment is time is completely dependent and determined by the moment before it and going all the way back to the beginning of time. Yes, so essentially everything is determined by the past. And the further you go in the past to the first event, then you can say at that point everything in the future was determined. Um, if you knew all the variables that existed back then, then you can predict everything that will happen. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, tied to the idea of the Big Bang. Um, so that is the prevailing theory in physics that uh, the universe began around 13 billion years ago in a Big Bang. And everything that followed since was uh, to be expected. Therefore, our discussion right now was anticipated by the Big Bang. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the assumption is that if you know the initial conditions, then you can predict the ultimate outcome. Um, and of course, if you talk to most physicists today, they'll say you they'll they'll tell you that we don't yet understand how to you know interpret all the initial all the variables to predict the future. You know, we we haven't figured it all out yet but maybe one day we will right yeah there's this promise of okay we we haven't figured out how everything is determined but we trust that it is indeed so now let's contrast that with the opposing argument right that free will exists and so what is free will well The term free will is a bit misleading um, because there are two words there, uh, free and will. And the term free will, the connotations of this term is that there is a will that is completely free to do whatever it wishes, that there is no constraints, no limitations to that will. So that would entail that you and I and everyone, we have completely complete responsibility for whatever we do, for our behavior, as if we are not unconsciously influenced by the media, the culture, um, our biological disposition, and so on and so on. And as if the, all of these things do not exist and there is a will that can go against all of that. Now, that is the extreme idea. That is the radical idea of free will. But if we remove the free and we, re- we remain solely with the will 
And that is the point that we need to be aware of, that there is a will after all. There are plenty of constraints and limitations on our will, but ultimately there is a will and there is a choice and we do make choices every day and we do take responsibility for them. Yeah, so if we if we have a psychological perspective or even just a phenomenological perspective, we experience, we have an experience of making decisions, right? Of being presented with different options, different opportunities, and then reasoning and choosing which one we accept, which one we we choose to act on, right? Yes, we do make the choice um, based on the knowledge that we have, which is um, actually the definition of consciousness. Um, if we define consciousness in Jungian terms, we say it is composed of two units, um, the rational part and the irrational part. Now, uh, the rational part is the one that makes decisions. It's the one that describes um, the irrational part, which is what is simply everyday life experiences. Um, so consciousness must, in order to be conscious, in order to be self-aware human being, you have to make decisions. Yes, exactly. But there are many, particularly among physicists and skeptics of all kinds, or radical skeptics, that would say that that experience we have of choosing, that our consciousness is not actually real, right? It's just an illusion. So how do we know that our experience of making decisions, our consciousness is real and not just some kind of illusion. So what is an illusion? Illusion is something that isn't real, right? Yeah, it's something that appears to be one thing but is actually something else. Like what? Like a mirage in the desert. You think that you're seeing water, but it's just a mirage. It's deluding you. Mm -hmm. Or there's plenty of optical illusions. Um, and there's also illusions of thoughts of like you, you, you think you saw something, you think you witnessed something, but it was a bit different. You heard something um, that your brain interpreted as something else. Um, there's also interpretation illusions. You interpret a certain situation that happened to you in an illusory way that does not match the actual story of what happened in reality. Mm -hmm. um, so illusions are there. Illusions is a thing. It's, it's common. It's, it's commonplace. Um, everyone is deluded every once in a while by uh, misperceptions. Yeah, and not only are we um, unintentionally deluded by th things that happen, but we, we also enjoy being 
um, entertained by illusions through, you know, all sorts of uh, plays and and films and, you know, all these um, performances that we know are not real. You know, we know they're actors performing, but we still enjoy the illusion that they put on for us. Absolutely. Art is a big illusion that we're all enjoying. Um, yeah, watching movies, shows, we are deluding ourselves. We make ourselves believe as if that's real. And that gives us like an emotional... And that moves us, mm-hmm. you know. So let's go back to the question, is, a, is the will an illusion? Is making choices an illusion? Because there are some physicists who claim that uh, reality is like a disk. Everything is already determined. We are just observing. We are like consciousness reading a disk. Um, and we're just watching everything. So the question is like how this idea fits with the experience of making decisions. If we are truly like a disc reader, then how come we experience making decisions? Mm-hmm. Well, I think we should look at these all these examples that we've talked about of different illusions and try like find what they what they all have in common, right? Like what really is an illusion. And if you think about any kind of illusion, there is um a purpose behind the illusion and there is there is someone some agent with some with a desire a will to delude you right mm-hmm. um, when we talk about like movies and and plays and stuff um, th- there is someone who wrote the play and there are actors who are putting on the play and where there is a purpose for it to happen um, also even like optical illusions you can think there's a a purpose in terms of like um, evolutionarily it's it's a certain kind of illusion might help you survive better in nature mm-hmm. or something like that so every illusion has a purpose an agent or an agency behind it mm-hmm. okay so let's go with the line that the line of thought the thought experiment that we are really are deluded Okay. There is no will. We are, all decisions are have are made or are predetermined. We're just observing it. Now, by saying that, we still we cannot get away from the fact that there is something else that is deluding us. So, if I don't have the will, then something else has a will to delude me by giving me the illusion of choice Mm -hmm. and then the question is why would that thing delude me or what is that thing so i think that the most um prevalent answer to that would be nature you know it is nature that deludes us um to have the experience of making choices and you can come out with many reasons for that i don't know right now but usually the the easiest answer that um, psychologist or ev- evolutionary psychologist would go 
two would be survival. Um, you are given the illusion of choice so you could survive, something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but there's a kind of a problem with that explanation because then you're imbuing nature with agency, right? You're saying nature itself has a will and like mm-hmm. okay that that's that's fine if that's that's what you believe that's what you want to assert but you can't assert that at the same time as as saying that there is no agency at all right that mm-hmm. the universe has no purpose or there is there is uh basically it's incompatible with kind of a nihilistic view that like purpose is also just um, non-existent yes so let's again now go back to the definition of nature what is nature so I think the connotations for nature is leaves, green, monkeys cats and so on but let's think of nature in more archetypal terms and nature if you think about it is about repetition regularities, habits, the moon circles the earth, the earth um, orbits the sun, and so on, that the nature of seasons, the nature of instincts, the na- these are things that are uh, very predictive, natural thing, you know. You can say it's only natural to do that. There are expressions. And when we use the word natural, we actually say, oh, that is to be expected. That is the natural course of action. That is the predictable thing to do. Mm-hmm. Now, predictability and nature are on one side. But if you think of will, the concept of having a will, it goes in contradistinction to this whole idea of predictability. Because the will can go against the limitations and the, and the past. The will can say, oh, that was my habit. I'm going to change my habit. I'm going this time, I'm going to do something new, something different, which can become a new habit, of course. But you can always, you always have some range of choice. Of course, you cannot say, uh, okay, um, I have telekinesis right now because I have a will to do that. No, it is not within the range of freedom. But within the range of freedom that you do have, you have a choice to do something new that goes against nature. Now, when you say that nature has a will or nature deludes us, nature gives us the illusion of free will, you are saying that nature has a will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so you could say that you've kind of turned nature into God, or mm-hmm. you've replaced the word God with the word nature, but it's still kind of the same idea that there is an agent behind whatever goes on in nature. Um, and so if what is natural is only what has happened before, you know, what is what is predictable. Um, but we see that 
new things sometimes happen, then that means that there is something other than nature at work mm-hmm. here in this universe, right? Absolutely. There, there must be something supernatural that, that goes beyond what is already habitual and, and repeating again and again. And that is the will, that is, that is consciousness. Mm-hmm. Indeed. And that takes us to the idea of C.S. Lewis. Uh, you mentioned the word supernatural. And by that we don't mean like Superman or Batman, that kind of supernatural, but more everyday life's experiences. They are the supernatural. They're setting your alarm clock in the morning. That is supernatural. That is trying to transcend the natural rhythm of the body and impose a will onto your body. That is supernatural. Um, Deciding to drive on a longer route home this time. That is supernatural. All these little things we do, they are the supernatural. The problem is that in our modern or postmodern world, if you will, we have been blinded to the supernatural because the supernatural was imbued in religious uh, meanings. Like religion had much more influence on people's like on people's experiences, on people's interpretation of reality. But now since the majority of humanity is becoming more and more secular, we're seeing everything as natural and we, I believe, delude ourselves to think that uh, everything is natural, which is called, by the way, naturalism, which is also the prevailing thought today among philosophers and psychologists, naturalism. But uh, we concur that naturalism is not logically coherent, right? Exactly, because we experience supernatural things all the time. We take them for granted. We think that they, they're they so familiar that they seem natural, but it's obviously not. Okay, so let's summarize what we've said so far. We've said that there is a will and that there is... Um, nature on the other side which nature is about the past is about regularities about habits um it is it is constraining the will now there is here a distinction if the nature is on the side of the past then the will is on the side of the future exactly so um and that takes us to the interiority Now, I would like to talk a little more about the nature of duality. So, the future, what is the future? The future has never happened, you know. Um, But how do we experience the future? Through the imagination. We imagine something, we imagine an outcome, we imagine a telos. A telos in Greek is a purpose. We imagine an end point and then we change our society and we change our plans and we uh, to do everything in order to reach 
to that point. So that is the future. And that is what is pulling us into the future. So in physics, you can see the world is like, as we said, determined by the past. But everything that happened in the past, there were a lot of new things that happened, right? I mean, let's begin with the first thing, the Big Bang. The big, uh, who started the Big Bang? That's a, a question that uh, they don't even try to answer, I think, because they say it's, it's unknowable, and so there's no use even asking that question, because they assume that it, there's no reason it just happened. Don't ask that question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Big Bang happened, we, we, we can see how it happened, and that's, that's kind of as far as... The, so right now we don't have any, any rule that predicts the Big Bang any regularity that would predict the Big Bang. Therefore, the Big Bang is a completely novel thing that happened. Yeah, it's like Terence McKenna famously said that about the Big Bang theory is that um, it's basically like saying, give me one miracle and I'll explain the rest. Yeah, like the Big Bang is a miracle that you accept happened and then you can understand everything else from there. But it's still an unexplainable thing that, mm-hmm. that occurred and why it happened as it did is anyone's guess. Yes. And then following the Big Bang, there were a lot of regularities. We started to see the formation of chemicals, the formation of stars and planets and solar systems and galaxies. Um, how, and obviously these things never existed before, a solar system once long ago was a completely novel thing and a sun was a completely novel thing so uh, there were a lot of novel things that happened in history in prehistory and in even in human history as well i mean there is a lot of novel things like uh, technology, computers, microphones. There was a time when a microphone was a novel thing. So we need to think of the idea of novelty. Mm-hmm. If you be- believe in novelty, you cannot hold that idea with a complete determination of everything by the past. Yeah, and if you think about just our everyday experience that in order for something novel to actually become part of reality first it's an idea in someone's mind Mm -hmm. right someone first imagined what a microphone is before they ever actually manufactured one right Mm -hmm. and that's how reality works in my view that everything exists first as an idea um, and then only then can it become manifested in reality so it's really the imagination that is the um, connection of the present to the future and is actually also determining the future Mm -hmm. yeah and that takes us to again we talk about this duality so the imagination and novelty and will in one box again to remind the listener whereas nature predictability habit 
in another box. Now, um, these are two boxes. And now I would like to touch the idea of gender. Now, according to the hermetic principle, gender is everywhere. Every duality is all, can also be mapped to one side of the gender duality. One is more masculine and the other is more feminine. The masculine is more active, more creative. The feminine is more passive, created, um, but also giving birth. Also, um, the prima materia, as they say in alchemy. This is the, the ground from which everything is created. As you have this duality, the will is on the masculine side. Nature is on the feminine side. Now, um, if you're a naturalist, that means that you see the universe only in feminine terms. Archetypally. Whereas, if you are complete extreme on the other side, free will, then you see everything, everything is like determined by the will. But the fact is that there is an interplay between these two forces. There is a dance between them. Yeah. Um, this is what you're describing is also what is called the dialectic, right? Of um, a thesis and an antithesis. Um, two totally opposing arguments. Um, but when we have a duality like this, we can always find a synthesis. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the purpose, the function of mercury in alchemy. Mm-hmm. The, the Mercury is the synthesizer of both the masculine and the feminine. Um, that's why Mercury mythologically was um, depicted as kind of androgynous, right? Or hermaph- hermaphroditic, though hermaphrodite, I think, was actually a separate being. But anyway, um, Mercury is androgynous because it brings together the masculine and the feminine. Um, and Mercury also um, is associated with the intellect um, and with consciousness because it's, it's hmm. through our consciousness, which, is, which contains both the masculine and the feminine, that we can find the middle ground, right? That we mm-hmm. can see that this... Um, this pushing and pulling between the masculine and the feminine, between the natural, instinctive, habitual side of ourselves and the rational, purposive, creative side that can choose to do new things. Um, They're both part of our psyche. Mm -hmm. Yes, indeed. Um, And it is very important to gain the consciousness of Mercury and to be aware when you are limited and when you have uh, free will. But the point that I think is important is always be aware of a duality. When you have an opinion and your opinion says, I believe on this side or on that side, always be aware that that is not the right answer. The right answer is not one of the two is the third, the synthesis. Mm -hmm. So 
you cannot deny the will and you cannot deny the influence of the past. They both exist. Mm-hmm. And we are in the middle. That is our task. In fact, um, the psyche, in Jungian terms, um, let's define what is the psyche. The psyche is the thing that holds the tension between consciousness and unconsciousness. So, we, every person has their consciousness, what they are aware of, and also their unconsciousness, which con- contains all their complexes, dreams, process, background processes that they are not aware of. And what holds all of that together is the psyche. Yeah, even this question of does free will exist, um, this, this question presupposes a certain view of the world, a certain metaphysics, in which there are some things that do exist and some things that do not exist, right? Um, but if you look at things from a phenomenological perspective, then everything exists in some sense, right? There's, you can't say that there are certain things that like we experience, but they're, they're not real. Like, um, yes. So you can say ghosts exist. Um, your dreams exist. Your imagination exists. It's all real. Yeah. In, in sense. Obviously yeah. that, that doesn't mean that there can't still be an important distinction between what exists uh, materially, physically, and what exists in a in a more spiritual or psychic sense, like there, there can still be an important distinction there, but it doesn't mean that we should only focus on the physical and completely disregard anything non-physical, mm-hmm. because obviously they the the non-physical things still influence our lives in hugely significant ways. I mean. Mm-hmm look at like why people go to war or you know like really what motivates people to do significant things in the world is because there's some idea that they they want to bring into the world there's some ideology they they believe in which is not a material physical thing mm-hmm. but it's still driving their behavior so even things that are not real physically deserve to be investigated understood you know because they they're really important as well yes they determine our behavior um and that one that actually takes me to another point um the psyche is also natural in some sense the in the sense that it has habits and a structure And if you want to predict the future based on the past, you also need to understand the structure of the psyche and the interiority of the psyche. And there are, in fact, even regularities in the psyche that predispose you to having an opinion on on the discussion between free will and determinism. And that is... Uh, we mentioned that the consciousness is made out of rationality and irrationality. Um, you can also call it rationality, the judgment side, the decision side, and irrationality, the perception side, the fact side. Now, people, 
have types can be mapped onto an irrational type or a rational type. Those who um, are rational types tend to be more conscientious, more to be aware and take a lot of responsibility for their choices, uh, whereas their perception is secondary, is an instrument. What is? They take what is and they are the makers of something new. Whereas there are the irrational types that are more uh, perceptual, grounded in perception in what they perceive and, where, and they use the rationality, their decisions as a tool. Exactly. And I think it's really important, especially if you want to understand how much freedom you actually have, how free is your will. Um, it's important to understand how you are constrained by your innate psychic disposition and whether you are an irrational type or rational type and other typological differences which we'll maybe discuss in other videos but um, I think it's yeah it's really important and it's helped me particularly um, to understand my own tendencies of, of thought and behavior and other people's um, because I think particularly when it comes to this uh, debate of free will versus determinism it seems that irrational types tend to have an easier time kind of accepting the premise that their decisions are not really their own, that they're just kind of watching decisions be made, but they're just the observer watching it um, because irrational types identify more with, with what they perceive directly through their senses and what they, what they intuit, the possibilities and ideas. Um, Whereas decisions are just kind of, they can see is you, you make decisions in order to accomplish something, you know, that, that people create these, these systems and, and rules, um, but they're not really real. Whereas I think rational types have a harder time considering that as a possibility because for a rational type, your decisions are who you are and that's what life is about. And yes. like... If you deny your own agency, then you're denying your own existence in a sense. So it's, it's absolutely yeah. Denying free will or the will simply for rational types is equivalent to denying reality uh, for the irrational type. It's like telling an irrational type um, this microphone and chair and table they're not real. And they're just a dream. It's all a big. It's all a dream. That is the gravity of the assertion. Um, so it's important to notice the biases, like ira as you mentioned, Danny. Like irrational types, it's easier for them to see that their decision. They're just observing their decisions. Um, utilizing decisions and even I, I read about certain theories in psychology that claim that rationality developed in homo sapiens in order to achieve um, societal goals and stuff like that which sounds very utilitarian like oh this thing called rationality 
only humans have that and we kind of invented that for our purposes which to me sounds ridiculous because I don't feel like I invented or we as humanity invented rationality it seems to me that rationality is the very ground of na- of nature of the universe if you will that thoughts are not mine or yours thought is what holds the solar system together the solar system is a thought it's a regular thought mm-hmm. sometimes there are irregularities but it is a thought morality is not something we made up morality is part of the universe the universe exists for a moral reason so the conscience and the truth are part of the universe and that is again a temperamental difference rational types tend to see more the view that i presented irrational types tend to see more the natural side of of things right so how do yeah. how do irrational types see the world as opposed to what i presented i think The general tendency is to yeah like you said see see the universe as a field in which certain certain beings exist and they're interacting in sort of a chaotic way and chaos more yeah more more chaos that more chaos more randomality yeah just things are random and that is the theory the the biological theory that is starting to fall out of place these days that richard dawkins promotes that basically everything is random the dna was granted in a random way you know you bring offsprings they develop mutations the mutation that is the most adaptable to the environment is the one that survives like why does a giraffe has a long neck then the biologist would say well one like a pair of uh, of giraffes gave birth to giraffes with varying uh, heights of neck and the ones with the higher the longest neck are the ones that survived and promoted this gene um but this ignores the the feedback that the organism gets from nature that the giraffes that gave birth to to the little giraffe with a longer neck um was it a really a random mutation now i would concur no it's it wasn't random it was as a result of uh experience Now biologists would deny since they deny experience they deny the masculine they deny consciousness again that takes it the idea they they believe that consciousness is what you use to do something in reality in at the moment consciousness is what i have in order to manipulate existing reality they don't think that consciousness is also used to manipulate the offspring the future you know uh the consciousness experiences something for example 
a giraffe experiences a lack of reaching uh, the leaves on a tree and then it wishes, it imagines if I only had a longer neck I could have eaten more uh, and that wish turns, moves into the offspring in the, se- in the, in the terms of genes and you know epigenetic epigenetic um, development and so on so uh, consciousness the will is an inherent part of evolution without a desire to have a longer neck these things wouldn't have wouldn't ha- wouldn't happen yeah and so i think one of the biggest takeaways of this discussion is that you know whether will is is free or not there is will that exists in us and in nature in the universe that Mm -hmm. will exist that there is there are purposes there are is telos Mm -hmm. um whether you you see it in yourself in your own wishes and desires or in the or in a more cosmic sense of the will of god the will of all of all being to achieve something yes and since you mentioned god i'd like to open that issue and mention again the big bang theory and connect it to a philosophy called deism Um, and deism is the belief that there is a god It created the universe and it left it like someone who turned a simulation on and left the room or um, someone who made a clock and just started it and left the clock. Um, To quote Terence McKenna, this is a crank idea that nobody is really keen for. But this is the the idea of deism. Now, in contrary to that idea, you can think of God or the creator of the universe, the one that had the idea of the thought to start the universe to begin with. He never left. In fact, he is inside of its creation all the time. And how is it inside of its creation? It is the element that, again, is inside of us. This is our internal experience as opposed to external. The external is the objective, right? This is the objective side is quantitative. You can, you can count it. You can measure it. You can measure it in space right on the one hand i repeat we have a box of objective world the objective world is quantitative you can measure it in space on the other side you have quality the qualitative side which has a quality what is a quality is a certain kind of experience a certain color a flavor a smell and so on um and the qualitative side is measured in time. It is different in different times. It moves in time. It is the experience. 
So the way I view the creator is that the creator is always present. It never left like in the Big Bang. And it is present in the subjective world of choice, of qualities, of time, making decisions in time. Everything that makes decisions, all animals, humans, all of that, that is God present. So me speaking right now is God speaking through me and everyone who speaks, God speaks through them. So that is a way of not divorcing God from reality and putting him in some office outside. But actually the very part of it. Yeah, and I think this idea of God as external, as as more part of the objective side of things, um, is really a historical development, you know, basically due to the certain temperament of uh, Europeans in the West and, and Christianity particularly that eventually kind of described God more in that sense. Um, but if you look at different cultures around the world, there are cultures where God is conceived of more as in the, the inner subjective experience. Mm-hmm. Um so the creator is inside us and we are each sort of expressions our own individual will the will that we experience having to to make decisions is part of or has its source in the will of god the will Absolutely. of the creator so it's it's not that you know our individual will will cannot go against the the will of the creator um, but we still have our own sort of well I'm not sure it cannot go against the will of the creator because that saying that would mean kind of implies determinism okay maybe my own temperamental difference (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) I see okay and it's good that you mentioned that because that will take us to another duality another layer that we're going to complicate the issue here between the ego and the self and in Jungian psychology we talk about two centers of of will right will has layers yo it's deep there is like it's complicated so the self is according to definition in Jungian psychology which also matches by the way the idea of in Hinduism is that this is the center of the psyche the center um, the thing that unites both consciousness and unconsciousness and another layer to that is the ego which is the I whenever we say I That is the ego. Um, And the ego is the center of consciousness. Now, the center of consciousness, meaning everything you know, right? So the ego can choose to do things that go against the will of the self, of the totality. Consciousness can go against unconsciousness. Oftentimes, there are instincts that tell us, hmm, 
I shouldn't, I really shouldn't go to work today, or I really shouldn't do that. And then you say, oh, stop, this is just laziness or something. And then you go to work and, I don't know, some accident happens to you. And then you say, oh, I should have listened to my intuition, my sensations, or I felt something. So this is a way that sometimes the unconscious tells us things. Do this, don't do that. And oftentimes in society, we are in fact encouraged from cradle to grave to ignore our unconsciousness and listen to our consciousness and in fact rape our bodies and rape ourselves into making decisions that fit the social structure, that fit the expectations of society. Yeah, all of basically all of civilization is is people going against their instincts, taming <laughs> their instincts in order to create some rational order that's that's imposed on the natural order of things. Yes. Um, and so that's again, so this is the same sort of push pull dynamic of of feminine, masculine, conscious, unconscious going on. It's going always going on on an individual level in ourselves. It's also going on on a collective level, um, because, like you said, the the creator is found within the creation wherever there is an I that is experiencing, um, wherever there is um, there are perceptions and judgments, and there is a, a pattern of oneness unity and an, an individual anything that is an individual you could say it has some kind of individual existence mm-hmm. that means that the essence of the creator is within that thing yes uh, um, unity is an important word because naturalism those who believe in naturalism consciously or unconsciously because by the way many people have clear ideologies in their mind unconscious ideologies and you may believe in naturalism unconsciously or consciously that, and that means that you be, that you in fact are polytheist you believe in poly in many things um, which makes it harder for you to see unity in things but uh, in fact the, the poly the many cannot exist without the one um that's a quote from plato exactly oh 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 really (laughs) i didn't even know that (laughs) you cannot conceive of the many without the one exactly i mean you can say well no there is not just one creative force there are many creative forces like there is a uh, there is a board, there is a whiteboard, and there is a table, and these are two different things, and you know, but two different things from each other. That means everything you talk about, every word you pronounce, must take something and make it into a one, right? Mm-hmm. An apple, a man, a woman. You must. Take something that I'm sure in its interiority is composed of many, many parts and is taking place in a stage with many other parts, but on its own, it's a one. And this oneness, this unity is um, the masculine, the will, the rationality, and so on. And what you call 
what is called in Jungian psychology the self. The, the self, self is this pattern, this archetype of oneness or wholeness. Yes, and when do we see the self, except for using that word? In, I'd, I would like to move the idea of the self into more down to earth. And I concur, we see it in dreams. When you dream, the very fabric of dream, in its very basic nature, it's unexpected. Things happen there that you don't expect them there to happen. It breaks all the rules. Things, people appear, they change into other people. All of a sudden you're in a room, you find yourself in another room, and that appears completely normal to you while you're in the dream. The, all the rules are broken. Uh, so who is the creator of the dream? Because it's not the ego, by definition. Because the ego is the center of consciousness. And consciousness experiences all of these things in the dream as surprises, right? We are not only surprised by things that happen to us in waking consciousness, we are also surprised by things that happen to us when we're unconscious. So all of these surprises that attack our consciousness, attack our ego, where do they come from? They come from the self, the unity that is larger than consciousness and unconscious. It, it holds both of them together and it holds the psyche together. Exactly. So you could think of the self, and this is actually how Jung often describes it. Um, he equated it to the idea in Abrahamic religions of the imago Dei, the image of God, that it's sort of the God within us, our own individual manifestation of the Creator within us mm -hmm. that is making us whole and, and, and helping us overcome this division between dualities, between the conscious and the unconscious, helping us, um, giving us guidance mm -hmm. towards having a big picture perspective mm -hmm. of life and being more aware so that consciousness expands and um, becomes more, or I guess you could say that the consciousness is more receptive and kind of dances with the unconscious, you know, rather than mm -hmm. fighting against it, you know, rather than fighting against your instincts, trying to, to always, you know, fit, fit life into your conscious attitudes mm -hmm. um, it helps us to to be softer <laughs> yeah to have a dialogue between the unconscious side what is revealed to us in dreams the signs we see on uh, synchronistic events our instincts our basic very basic desires we need to in our day to day we need to negotiate that side with our dreams and what we wish to do and what other people expect us to do. Um, we are found in this tension, the tension of the opposites. The easiest thing is to fall into one side of the opposites, either to fall into the side of like, there's nothing to do, everything is determined, 
everything I'm told, I do, everything my instincts tell me to do, I do, that's to falling to the um, natural objective side. But falling to the subjective side is saying, um, I can be everything I want. If there's a will, there's a way, which is true, but to a limit. Mm-hmm. Um, so the psyche needs to negotiate be- uh, between these two forces. And that's what Jung called holding the tension of the opposites, which explains life in general. Everything that is alive, life, the, the very definition of life is being torn between two edges. Exactly. And as long as we're alive, that tension is going to be there. It, we can't expect it to mm-hmm. ever go away. I mean, we, we can spend our entire life holding that tension and, and finding ways to synthesize, to, to arrive at a, a centered middle position. But inevitably, something will pull us, you know, to, mm-hmm. to one side and we have to you know, experience that again and again. It's, it's a never-ending process, but that's mm-hmm. that's what we're here for. Yeah. Um, and just an, another point that I wanted to mention before we finish up um, is that our basically our entire legal system depends on the idea that we do have um, a will that we we are responsible for our decisions. You can't go in a court of law and claim that you murdered someone because it was determined at the Big Bang that you were going to murder yeah. someone. <laughs> like, it's not valid in court, yeah. this argument. Um, and so, like, and I think those who, who do embrace the deterministic view of things don't fully, and, you know, unconsciously, they're, they're not really totally convinced because... It's a, it, they have to compartmentalize and think, exactly. okay, that's what I believe. And even though I don't behave as if it's true, you know, and I don't like that personally. I don't think that's a, a way to live is having mm-hmm. a, one set of beliefs for one part of life and another one for a different one. You should, yeah. I personally think we should try to have beliefs that are consistent with all of our experience and exactly. not just parts of it. Yes, it, 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 to be one, we are basically promoting unity, wholeness, um, integration. Um, if you, as you mentioned, yeah, I agree. If you tend to have a conscious deterministic ideology, it cannot be um, the ideology of the psyche as a whole. Because the unconscious knows that there is something there. Um, that is unpredictable. Well, certainly the the psyche knows that there is desire, <laughs> that, mm-hmm. that there is mm-hmm. something that wants to come through you, that wants yeah. to happen. And so, if you deny that there that that desire is real, it's just fighting against it's, the psyche itself. <laughs> it's denying everything. Even Freud says that the desire, will, is the most primal thing there is. And sexuality is the most primal desire. And um, whether you believe in that or not, it is surely central 
to the will. Um, so denying the will, denying consciousness, it's impossible because it's at the core of who we are. Mm-hmm. Though I do think there is a there is a kind of desire that is perhaps more um, natural, right? Of like craving something mm-hmm. that's that is habitual, that is natural. But mm-hmm. then there is also a desire of like a yearning for something. Yeah, that's... it's a good distinction between craving and yearning. Mm-hmm. Yearning is something, a desire to have a uh, certain outcome in the future, whereas craving is like, it's also in the future. All, even cravings are drive you to the future, but it's more about food and sex and other emotional desires, um, you know, uh, getting something, uh, taking revenge and so on. These are also like basic desires. But even those basic cravings, if you will, drive you to the future. Yeah. So, well, so are there any arguments for either side of, of free will or determinism that we haven't mentioned yet? Good question. Well, I know one that I hear quite often. Okay. Is that because we cannot go back in time, we cannot ever know if something else was actually possible, if a different outcome than what actually happened is possible. Mm. Because, you know, there's basically we're, we're stuck in a single timeline, right? We can't hop to a different timeline and see, oh, okay, that's, that was actually a possibility too. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So how can we know that other possibilities really are possible if we can't see them? Or so them? this assumes, this question assumes that by going to the past, like in the, like in the movie, Back to the Future, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. You go back to the past, you see things could have been done differently and you can change them. Okay, that's an interesting um, thought experiment. It's good for thought experiments, that's for sure. I could have done this differently and so on. But we cannot physically do that. But that is not the only way by which we can determine whether free will exists or not. Um, We just did that. We just, like, argued for... Let's just use the word will. We argued for the existence of will, consciousness, subjectivity, interiority, all of this in the -hmm. the same box. Um, Without using such a without going back to the past by simply relying on logic and the facts that we currently know yeah exactly as you said it's a thought experiment and that's that's what thought is for (laughs) it's like thought imagination thought and imagination are our time machine basically we can Mm, explore other possibilities (laughs) um and and contemplate how they you know things could have been differently or how things could develop and that's enough to show that 
we have a will and we, we, we make decisions. Yeah, why do we even have the thought that things could have been done differently? Now, yeah, I, I actually watched YouTube videos of, uh, of determinists, uh, naturalists that explain, they concurred that things could not have happened differently because they happened the way they did. Uh, well, but if your imagination currently, now, tells you that things could have happened differently, the reason you get this insight that things could have happened differently is so that you will make them different in the future and you will change the course of nature and the predictable uh, course of, of, of how things were supposed to unfold. The thoughts experiment are there in order to overcome nature. And again, it all goes back to this kind of devaluing of psyche that is very prevalent in particularly in in mainstream science right that the psyche is i mean psyche is synonymous with soul and i think if you ask most scientists today do you believe in the soul they would say no yeah but the 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 psyche um is what makes science possible it's yeah when we before you do any sort of study or experiment it's because you have a thought you have an idea that you want to check a hypothesis that comes through the psyche it, it, it isn't mm -hmm. part of the objective world it's subjective it's subjective yeah absolutely so i think it's it's kind of it's having a very sort of myopic view of like forgetting why science exists in the first place why you're doing it that it science always has a telos right yes there's always something that it's trying to accomplish it's it's a tool of that humans develop mm -hmm. so for someone to say that because science cannot prove that there is purpose in nature right mm -hmm. then purpose isn't there when like science mm. arose in order to serve a purpose. So. Yeah, they ignore, exactly. I mean, science itself is teleological. Like, it, it, it tries to get results. Exactly. <laughs> you do an experiment in order to get results so you can confirm or deny a theory. Yeah. So, you are the one who has a purpose, but everything else does not have a purpose. Mm -hmm. That is the, the assumption, uh, the bias that scientists take. They don't see their own psyche. They don't, because they don't believe in their own soul. Because psyche and soul is the same word after all. The problem is that the word soul is, gives people connotations of um, the way it is meant in certain religious institutions. For example, as um, undying soul that moves from one body to the next, or a soul that moves to heaven, or a soul... There's always a story associated with a soul, uh, some concrete story that Christians believe, or Jews, Muslims, and everyone has their own, you know, 
myth around the soul. So if you say you believe in the soul, for many people it kind of go together, goes together with believing the, uh, some religious stories about the soul. Like especially metaphysical stories about the soul and especially what happens to the soul after death. Mm-hmm. This, these are the biggest connotations of the word soul. So, um, but the way we use the word psyche is a bit to um, de-religiousize it. Um, and we use it in a synchronic, uh, moment-by-moment perspective, meaning that what is alive has a psyche. What is alive has a soul. Now, the discussion of what happens to life consciousness afterwards is a completely different discussion it's it could be another episode but it is divorced from the main concept of psyche um, which is the soul so uh, you can believe in the soul in the sense of simply uh, defining soul as that which uh, keeps people alive at that energy, that consciousness, that unity that makes everything which is alive alive. Yeah, whether y- your soul continues after you die is a completely separate question of whether you are alive. And so mm-hmm. it, it's really not even something that you can say you, you have a belief in because it's what you are. So exactly. Yeah. It's, it's a matter of knowledge. It's a matter of knowledge, of knowing that, oh, I am alive, I do have, I do experience life, and I do have consciousness, so I have, or am, you could say, I am a soul. Um, yes. So, let's summarize everything we've said so far, because um, I feel like a lot of what we did here is redefining terms. The problem in in our age, I think, is that there is a confusion of thoughts. People go around in life with fragments of thoughts. They use one thought for one occasion, another thought for another occasion, and they don't see the inherent contradiction between those thoughts. And what we're trying to do here is to unite these thoughts, to remove this Um, cognitive dissonance because it's unhealthy it's also unhealthy for the body that's where disease comes from Uh, you behave one way then you behave in a different way your whole psyche is confused and then problems arise problems relationship problems health problems so living in um, consonance is better than living in dissonance so we're trying to merge these um, certain ideas and redefine them clearly. Free will, by will, free will, we kind of don't want to use the word free will because it's not absolutely free, but it has freedom. It has a range of freedom. Is everything determined? No, but surely nature has a way of constraining will and making sure that we move on to the future in a way that um, preserves the habits of the past. Both things exist.
And that's the point, in my opinion. Both things exist. Yes. <laughs> we need to... Yeah, we need to move beyond this either-or mindset to a both-and. Mm-hmm. That's synthesis. It's like, okay, it's not one opposite or the other. Both of them can be true at the same time. And we just need to define things and see things in a way that we can see how they can both be true. And I realize that for many people, it is not easy to redefine terms like that. You know, people get very attached to certain definitions of things because this is what it's meant for me my whole life, and so that's what it's you know mm. that's what this word or this yeah. this phrase must mean. Um, but language is also a living organism it it also a language has a soul and it's it's constantly changing and evolving along with us and Mm -hmm. so part of uh part of this this evolutionary process is allowing our language to adapt so that language can be can help us in this like you said of, of finding the the consonants rather than having dissonant thoughts if we can make order within our inner lexicon our, our inner dictionary of, of what things mean and we don't have a bunch of of contradicting definitions and thoughts mm-hmm. um, then language can actually help us hold that tension of the opposites yes and have a basically have and basically be a whole centered person that um, can live in harmony with our instincts and also our our reason and our our intellectual aspirations yeah that actually reminds me we're supposed to summarize and here I bring a new idea but let I'll be short about it we didn't really talk a lot about the emotional basis of the two sides of the argument. The deterministic side, the naturalistic side, also tends to side with the, is the irrational, not in the, side, not in the meaning of it. it can, they cannot rationalize the reasons in the sense of being biased towards perception uh, in a cognitive sense. Uh, whereas you have the rational side, the subjective side, um, and the will that has freedom to choose. If you completely believe in determinism, there is an emotional element to that which takes away responsibility. And I think that is what people are attached to, among other things. But this emotional ingredient that says, I'm not completely responsible for my actions. It's a way of forgiving oneself. It's a way of treating oneself easily, like, be easy on you, you know? Like, I'm not, I'm, you know, I move here, the, the wind moves me. It's, it's a more natural perspective, and it has a room, you know? It's absolutely true, but it's one perspective out of two. The other perspective could also be can get toxic it can be like you have full responsibility for everything that you did uh you know you you 
you can also be very harsh on yourself. You can judge yourself harshly, morally and, and, and intellectually because you had the choice. Uh, you know, many people do mistakes every day, but you can judge yourself harshly if you tend to go more on the rational side. People who tend to be more harsh on themselves and others, more Saturnian types, um, are also more, you know, more attached to the argument of free will. Mm-hmm. So here I showed like two emotional bases to these arguments. People might claim that they are, you know, rational and give all the reasons and say, oh, I'm only driven by facts, but they're also driven by emotions and also by their innate temperament, the irrational types and rational types. Yeah, yeah, it's, I think it's quite common for people to overestimate also the, the amount of freedom that their conscious will has. You know, they think, oh, if, if I didn't get that job or if I didn't get that boyfriend or girlfriend, like, it's, it's all on me. I didn't, you know, they, 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 they take full responsibility for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is also even pretty common among like new age sort of spiritual mm. people a lot. In, it can get toxic. And believing in like manifestation that you can, you know, whatever you wish, if you wish it hard enough, you can just make it happen magically, you know. Yeah. Which can also be be very toxic and not, not uh, recognize the power of habits, of nature, of constraints, of, yeah. of what is actually within the realm of possibility yeah because uh, like man it's funny you you mentioned manifestations and i'm thinking of like there's manifestations gurus out there that try to teach you how to manifest and how do they manifest their money by creating a workshop for manifestation (laughs) (laughs) pyramid it's a pyramid (laughs) and i mean you can maybe, you know, try to try to direct your life in a certain yeah, direction. Intention has power. Intention, definitely. But you, intention cannot be blind to uh, the desires of nature. If nature, if you try very hard to be a lawyer, but you hate it and you imagine, you try to manifest becoming a successful lawyer, while actually you are more disposed to... Um, to painting and uh, to become a shepherd. Maybe that is where nature wants to... That is like the natural course of action. And you try to fight really hard and manifest something. That's a way of... Actually, that is, in parentheses, uh, quote-unquote, toxic masculinity. That is consciousness, the masculine trying to impose itself on nature and you're trying to manifest something that does not want to manifest. So, yeah, it's, it's important to be aware of this. And uh, you can try to manifest something, but you always have to be sensitive to the self, not just the ego, not the desires of the ego. Because the ego cannot manifest its, des- its desires alone. It has to be in cooperation with the self, with the core of who you are. And we, and that is revealed in, in dreams. And, you know, dreams reveal to you what you really desire. Mm-hmm. 
And another th- important aspect of the self is that the self connects the ego to beyond the present moment. It connects the ego to the past and the future mm-hmm. because our conscious experience is always in the now. It's always, you know, surfing along the wave of time, whereas the self is connecting it to to your whole existence, mm-hmm. far into the past and far into the future. Yes. And it has, so it knows more than you. Exactly. Yeah, it knows more than you about you, but also about everything else external to you. I mean, other people, society. Mm-hmm. So w- when I mentioned what you really desire, I mean, I didn't mean that everything is determined by the I, by the, like, the, the individual. There is also a web of desires and society wants you to become something mm-hmm. and i mean the consonance again the, the the living a true um authentic life uh, with a vocation is a life that is aligned that whereas your the desire of your ego is aligned with the desire of the self meaning in other words your own desire fits with the desire of society and the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And the, when you find that alignment between the ego desire and the self-desire, the desire of the whole and desire of the individual, then magic happens. That is where miracle happens, I should say. That is when synchronicities happen. You have an insight and all of a sudden um, something happens that relates to that insight. Um, you recognize two different unlikely events happen at the same day. Um, you have a dream and then something happens. Things like that happen. And it happens the more you are aligned with the desire, with what is needed from you, with your destiny, if you will, with what is like the self wants from you and what you want. That is the happy place, the magical place where you become an active creator in reality. You are not just passively being created and you're not creating something against nature. You're an active creator. This is where the godness, this is where God is most incarnated in the body. Beautifully said. (laughs) There's a big difference between self authentic self love and egotism right of of, of, you know selfishness in the normal sense of the term Um, because like you said if you are truly trying to align your will as as an ego with the will of the self then it's not a a self-centered thing right in the the normal sense of of what Mm -hmm. we mean of like disregarding anyone else's Mm-hmm. interests or or standards or whatever mm-hmm. but the self is what connects us to whatever is bigger than us whatever is beyond our ourselves it's not mm-hmm. although we can you know we often talk about the self as like myself and yourself because we are individuals and there are differences but it's also through that that we are all connected that we are all one mm-hmm. as 
you know, as humans, as societies, as the Earth, as a biosphere, as the solar system. You know, there there are layers, like yes. you said. Um, but if we can align ourselves as as an ego to as all those layers as much as we can, like that's when we are really in feel that we're we're in rhythm with the whole of the cosmos and we're we're fulfilling our purpose exactly that's that's how you really get a sense of like you said a vocation of purpose yes is that like i am in the place doing the thing that i was born to do that i was brought exactly into this onto this earth to do exactly and i'm feeling that so much that i'm doing what i'm supposed to do recording this podcast i don't feel like i'm doing it for myself i feel like it needs to be done i feel like uh, the muse is speaking through me because there is a desire not mine there is a desire of other people to hear what we are saying right we're not only doing this podcast because we want to do it that's not enough but there is a desire of other people to hear that and that's why it is happening so I feel that so much and I feel um, personally that I see evidence for this alignment between ego and self oftentimes and that which makes me very frustrated when some people cannot understand that because they're not there. They are living in misalignment between ego and self which in Buddhism is called Dukkha. Dukkha is usually translated as suffering, which is actually the result of Dukkha, but the meaning of Dukkha means misalignment. When you are not at the center, you are misaligned. Why? Usually because you trust other people, other institutions, other things in consciousness that are repressing unconsciousness repressing um you know all these signs that you're getting in your day-to-day life you're trying to live against something you're constantly fighting something people who are found in this dynamic in this uh, psychic dynamics have have a hard time seeing what we're talking about mm-hmm yeah, and I have to say also that it's not like once you are aware of these things that we're talking about, that's you know suddenly everything just goes smoothly. Like mm-hmm. I, you know, speaking from experience, I can I can know that I I I need to listen to my dreams and and you know try and interpret what the the, the unconscious is telling me and and live in alignment with it. But on a day-to-day basis, that's not always easy. You know, it's easy to, to, yeah. to, you know, really get stuck in your your conscious, um, you know, program of this is what I'm doing and this is what I'm supposed to do, and like, and ignore those things. So I, I just want to point out that, like, you know, it's not like I'm speaking from some high level of like, oh, I've, I've, <laughs> yeah, I'm an enlightened person. And, and <laughs> yeah, no, me neither. I'm just, for me, it's more like waves. There are times when I'm more aligned and there are the times where I'm less aligned. Mm-hmm. When I get a backache, that's where I'm mi- misaligned. And then I'm thinking, oh, I need to correct my course. Yeah. 
Yeah. I did something wrong or um, not that I take complete responsibility for everything that happens, <laughs> you know, but it's, it's a clue. It's not a proof. It's not evidence. It's a clue. Something is misaligned. Try to pay attention. Um, yeah, I mean, I used to write my dreams and in, analyze them. I do it less so now. I could be better at it. I mean, not enlightened, but I do surely experience um, this alignment quite often to be certain that it's real. Yeah, definitely. Me, me too. Um, and when it comes to like people who can't see it who are, who are vehemently disagree or hardcore determinists or whatever, then it also helps, I think, to, to take a step back and think like, okay, well, this person... Uh, it's it, it's always a good idea to share arguments, share your your perspectives that people might actually be convinced, but also them being convinced is only partly within their control. You know that there yeah there's a whole host of uh, emotional reasons, things you know, and and their particular temperament, a way of being that you know could be a, a obstacle to seeing that but that's why we're doing this podcast we're sharing our mm-hmm. ideas because and really to anyone who has a hard time accepting this idea that you know there is the self that the soul is is real i think the only the only way that you can really know it is by like experiencing it right like Pay attention to your dreams. See if you can find meaning in your dreams. Mm-hmm. See if you can notice synchronicities in your life. Mm-hmm. If you can, you know, if things that seem meaningful coincidences are happening, and and the more that you look for them, the more that you see them. Exactly. Like it's, and yeah. may I add to that? Also, do something unexpected, um, because also the the tendency to believe in determinism also correlates with a deterministic life. If you live a deterministic life, you know, you go to work, you go back, you do the same things every day, every week, every, and so on and so on. Your life is very reg- regular, very natural. It's also natural that you believe in naturalism because your life is very regular. Mm-hmm. If you want to see the other perspective, you need to do wild unnatural things you know like um, do like uh, strange decisions and then i think that is the way to induce synchronicities in my opinion mm-hmm. you all of a sudden you say okay i'm gonna do something different something i've never done you know go ahead and do that and then i don't know you say okay i'm gonna eat uh, sushi sushi i've never eaten sushi you go and eat sushi and then you talk to a friend and then he tells you he ate sushi. And then what is that? Pay attention to this. It's not a coincidence. Don't go your life and say, no, nothing happened. Something incredible happened. You ate sushi and then someone mentioned that in the TV or someone ta- told you they also ate sushi. That's a synchronicity. That's the evidence you need. You see, you did something irregular and, some, and, and, the, and the universe gave you a feedback. I mirror this to you. Something happened. I, I registered 
something that you did that was abnormal, keep doing that. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, <laughs> I think we've uh, had a good uh, discussion of this topic. I think we've covered the gamut of, of this whole argument. Um, any final thoughts? Um, yeah, I think that's it. Holding the tension of the opposites, being aware of the duality, subjectivity, objectivity, being aware of the unity that holds the two together, being aware that there is a decider and there is precedent and both are allowed to exist. And yeah, with that, we'll finish. Thank you for our listeners. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye-bye. Ciao.